0: everybody. Welcome back to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannert, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and my goal is to help you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. On this episode, we continue with our masterclass. Still got a couple of sessions left on the masterclass about presentation skills. And this week, we take that presentation skeleton that you created last week, and we show you how basically 10 ways that you can add impact to it. So basically how to take that, that presentation that you created last week and kick it up a notch or, or two or three. <laughs> if you recall last week, I mentioned that um, we you really only want to give a max of maybe five key concepts per sitting. So as a result, since we've got 10 things to cover in this session, we're going to break it into two parts. That way you get a few this week and then a few next week and make it a little bit easier for you to remember the content and, and get a better idea of kind of what we want you to do to create these fantastic presentations. By the way, I created a free downloadable guide for you to access that. Just go to fearlesspresentations.com slash audio dash guide. So fearlesspresentations.com slash audio dash guide. I'll put links to that in the show notes by the way, a couple of you who downloaded the guide last week sent me an email saying that they received an error trying to access it. Since we're updating this content for every session last week, apparently when we uploaded it, it created some type of an error. It only took us you know, an hour or so to, to kind of fix. But if you did, Download the the guide last week and you did get that error. You can go back now, just double click or just click that link that's in the the email that was sent to you and you should be able to get it, no, no problem. Uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure and do that. Also rate the podcast, leave me a review. Love seeing those, seeing that feedback um also we have a number of in person fearless presentations classes coming up in the next couple of months we've got classes coming up the most the, the most imminent are the ones that are in Philadelphia, Miami and Atlanta those are coming up within a very short period of time we've also got classes coming up in the next 4 or 5 weeks or so in Denver Washington, D.C., Houston, Phoenix, Charlotte, L.A., and Menlo Park, which is in the San Francisco area. Most of those classes have at least a couple of seats still available. I think the only one that maybe getting really close to being full is Philadelphia, but the rest of them have at least a couple of seats. So, but if you do want a spot, you want to make sure and register for one of those right away, because since we're only doing classes in just a few select cities right now, they're selling out really, really early. So to get your ticket, go to fearlesspresentations.com. All right, let's get on with today's topic. So after you create the basic structure of your talk to inform, you can add additional zine to your speech by adding some of these impact ideas typically if you design a great outline like we showed you how to do in the previous session then you're going to create a really good presentation skeleton so in this session we really want to put a little bit more meat on the bones of the skeleton remember how when you're presenting, you want to pretend like you're an attorney and you're presenting your case to a jury. So these ideas just add a little bit more evidence to prove that each bullet point is true. And most often, just one or two of these ideas added to each of the bullets will create a fantastic content that your audience will both enjoy and then also believe. However, you want to proceed with a little caution, though, because These impact ideas will make good presentations great presentations. However, if you have a poorly designed presentation and add in these enhancers, then you're likely just going to make the presentation worse. So if you have a good presentation centered around just a few key bullet points and then add a couple of enhancers under each bullet for reinforcement, then it's going to work really, really well. Um, However, if you have 50 slides pre-prepared and you add in the same additional content, then it's likely going to make the presentation worse. So um, just kind of keep that in mind, less is more in each one of these situations. All right, so the very first impact idea that we wanna cover is that you can also add in an additional story or an additional example. Uh, When we created that presentation outline in the last session, I suggested that you add a story or an example to prove each one of those bullet points. That doesn't mean, though, that you can't add additional stories. In fact, some of the most highly paid speakers on the planet like to use multiple stories to make their points. For instance, take a listen to this excerpt of a Brian Tracy speech on improving success.
1: Thank you. I can't tell you how delighted I am to be here. I believe in this industry. I believe in life insurance and I believe in you. I think that life insurance people are some of the finest people in the world, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm just delighted to be here with you. It was not always thus. Many years ago, I had different ideas about life insurance when I was younger and foolish. uh, And about seven years ago, a friend of mine took me out for lunch and introduced me to a life insurance agent who is here in the audience today. And he asked me a few questions, and I gave him a few answers, and he called me up a few days later and said, why don't we get together for lunch again? So I thought that was pretty good. I could use a free lunch at that particular time of my life. So he took me out for lunch, and we had lunch, and, and he took out his folder, and he had prepared a proposal for me, and he said, based on everything that you've told me, I think that what you need is a million dollars worth of life insurance. My heart almost stopped. Look, like I said, if it's the lunch that's the problem, I'll pay for the lunch. Uh, I, said, I said, look, I got $100,000 worth of life insurance. If something happens to me, the house is paid off. My wife and my children have the house free and clear. Well, he explained to me that that's not a sufficient answer that they're gonna to have to go to school and they're gonna to have to eat and things like that i said yeah 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 i said look i'm not gonna gamble against myself i'm not gonna you know pay money to to bet against myself surviving. and so he explained that away and and i gave him every objection that you could imagine i don't care how many objections you've heard i gave them all to him and he answered them all just sort of like a boxer just went boom 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 well finally i was still determined i wasn't gonna buy it i said i said okay you've answered every question but, but but tell me give me one reason why i should buy a million dollar life insurance policy and this is what he did he folded up his stuff, he put it aside, folded his arms, and he leaned across the table and he said, Brian, he said, you're simply too important a person to have anything less than $1 million in life insurance. <laughs> well, I looked at him and he looked at me, and the thing was, he meant it. I asked him last night, as a matter of fact, and he assured me, yes, he did mean it. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't argue with him. What I was going to say? No, I'm really quite insignificant and unimportant and... Oh, no, so I said, well, I said, can you make monthly payments? <laughs> and he said, yes. So I took the insurance. Now, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that after I'd bought the policy, and I never, never regretted it for a second, no buyer's remorse, something happened to me. And I pass this on to you because I think that you should all sell million-dollar policies. Because when I walked away with that policy, I felt like a million-dollar person. I, my self-image... You know that your outer life reflects your inner life. We all know that. My self-image changed. Instead of being a struggling business person with family responsibilities and too many bills and not enough money, I was a million-dollar person. When I signed a loan application, and I signed quite a few, uh, I could put down there, insurance, one million dollars. I started to think about that. If something happened to me, my family could live in style for life. I didn't think that I was worth more dead than alive, but but I felt like a million-dollar person. And you know something? Over the years, the inner became the outer. And now I'm an million-dollar person on the outside as well as on the inside. And I'm sure that being sold that million-dollar policy had something to do with it. So don't sell it for yourself. Sell it for the person. Because there's nothing better than to have a million-dollar policy and walk around knowing you're a million-dollar person. Now, three years later, Gordon came back to me and sold me another million-dollar worth of insurance. This time, permanent life. (laughs) It's getting harder. But I want to tell you how much I believe in this industry. Last night, I just paid the deposit check for $2 million more of life insurance. I think it's interesting. You right. <laughs> I believe in life insurance. Anyway, did you ever stop and ask yourself why is it that some people are more successful than others? Why is it that some people make more money, live longer, have better relationships, while the great mass of men, as Thoreau said, live lives of quiet desperation? When I was 15, I set out on a lifelong journey to find the answer to that question. Why are some people more successful than others? You see, when I was growing up, my family never seemed to have enough money. My parents grew up during the Depression and I heard the same things over and over again throughout my childhood. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. I don't know if you heard that when you were growing up. It seemed to be the national anthem. Uh, <laughs> I was not a great student. I passed out of high school when I was 18. Uh, I say passed out because, uh, rather than graduated because that's what happened. I passed out in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Uh, the, the, the person in front of me, and there's a lot of people out here in the same half, the person in front of me on the stage and the person in back of me received diplomas, and I got a leaving certificate. A, 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 when, when you open it up, it says, goodbye. <laughs> and that's what they meant, goodbye, don't ever come back. Anyway, since then, I've traveled and worked in more than 80 countries on six continents. I've sailed on all the great oceans, I've been around the world two or three times, I became fluent in French, German, and Spanish as well as learning to get along in several other languages. When you need to eat, you you learn. Anyway, I started off as poor as I could be, searching for the secrets of success. And over the years, I've read and studied for over 30,000 hours in business, economics, psychology, philosophy, religion, metaphysics, and history to find the secrets of success. And I'm happy to say that I eventually found the answers I was looking for. Today, I live in a million-dollar house on a golf course in Southern California, and I have business interests in nine countries. Today, I know and I've proven that success in any field, including this field, is as predictable as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. And my purpose in speaking with you today is to share with you some of the most important things I've ever learned. However, as Aristotle once said, you can't teach a person something that they don't already know. You're already high achievers and great successes in your careers. You're already the cream of your profession. So many of you already know what we're going to talk about, and the rest of you will recognize these principles as soon as you hear them. About five years ago, I met a wise and wealthy man who had spent his entire life studying success. And he'd reached a clear conclusion concerning the reason for success in life and especially in business. He's dead now, but I'll never forget what he told me because I immediately recognized that he put the finger on my reason for success and yours, as we'll talk about in a minute. He said the key to success was to set a goal and then to stay with it until you achieve success in at least one important thing.
0: So Brian Tracy is one of the most famous and successful motivational speakers of all time. And in the first six minutes of that speech, he tells a total of seven different stories and examples. He starts by telling this group of insurance salespeople a total of four stories about his experience buying insurance from people just like them. He's doing that to build rapport with them. He then tells a couple of stories about himself. He tells about his parents and the trouble that he had in high school. And then he inserts an analogy and a quote from an expert, which are two uh, additional impact ideas that we're gonna cover later on. Uh, And then finally, he gives a seventh story about an incident that happened to him five years ago. Only then does he introduce his first success tip. So why does Tracy spend so much of the early part of his speech telling stories? Well, it's because he likes getting paid over $30,000 per 60-minute speech, right? Now, just between you and I, I'm not as disciplined as Brian Tracy. However, I love to use multiple stories as evidence as well. Instead of using six or seven stories like he does, though, I like to use two contrasting stories to prove that my points are true. For instance... If I'm offering advice on how to better design a presentation, I might give an example of a time that I did the opposite of what I'm suggesting that the audience do, and I'll go into great detail about the consequences of that mistake, and then I'll finish with a success story. So those two contrasting stories work really, really well in presentations, especially when you're trying to persuade an audience to take action. So I'll give you a good example. So here's the bullet point that I might be covering. Start with a great title to quickly capture the audience's attention. You probably recall that from a previous lesson. The story I might use here would be, you know, when I first created the Fearless Presentations class, I didn't yet understand the value that creating a great title had. Uh, I just titled every session based on the content that I was delivering. For instance, the session right after lunch on the first day was titled The Three-Point Talk. (laughs) So during one of these classes, by the way, the morning session went a little bit along, and and the afternoon session started a little later than than normal. And as I welcomed the group back from a late lunch, I turned on my slideshow to show them the title, the three point talk. Now looking around the room, I saw glazed eyes from people who appeared to be in a you know practical food coma, I guess, would be a good way to describe them. But since the group was less attentive than in the morning session, instead of jumping right into the content like I would normally do, I tried to explain the benefits of understanding this type of presentation style. After a few minutes, one of the students kind of raised her hand and asked, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm still a little confused. What exactly is a three-point talk? And it never dawned on me that using that jargon was actually confusing to class members. So a short time later, I revised the session to try to make it easier. This time, I made the assumption that nobody in the office had ever heard of a concept called the three-point talk. Some may have, but for the most part, most people haven't heard that before. And I asked myself a couple of questions. I said, okay, so what exactly is a three-point talk? And then in addition to that, what benefit could a person receive if he or she understood this concept? So the answer to the first question was, was pretty simple. The three-point talk is a simple presentation structure that the reason I like to use it is because it's really, really flexible. It can be used in a lot of different situations and very helpful for folks that are just starting to design presentations for the first time, especially. Second answer, though, was a little tougher. I mean, obviously, once I thought through it a little a, a little deeper though and started thinking like a class member it kind of popped in my head pretty quickly because if somebody understands the concept of the three-point talk they can design entire presentations in minutes versus hours or days so basically I changed the title from the three-point talk to a simple presentation structure that will allow you to design entire presentations in 15 minutes or less The difference, by the way, in the way that the audience reacted was pretty dramatic. The very first time that I showed the new title to an audience, basically, I'm looking around the room this time just to kind of see the reaction. And each person kind of set up and they were taking notice. So basically, I used two different stories to further explain that particular bullet point. I used a story about how I kind of screwed up by not doing this thing or not doing this concept. And then I told a success story sometime that I did use. Basically, I changed the title of that session and it became a a positive experience for me. So, So I showed the negative and then the positive. So that particular technique is a really, really easy way for you to add in multiple stories under each bullet point or at least under a couple of your bullet points and use them in a way that helps you be more persuasive. Uh, the second impact idea is one called audience participation. And basically, what this does is it helps you gain consensus from your group. Uh, audience participation, by the way, is one of the most effective ways to make a good presentation into a stellar presentation. It's it's a fairly elite skill. Once you get really good at it though, people will see you as being a fantastic, a great speaker. Uh, And by the way, the absolute best way that I've ever found to use audience participation is to just turn one of your bullet points into an opinion asking question, basically a question that asks an opinion of the audience. The reason why we say opinion asking is because Everybody's got one, and as long as they give you an opinion, they've succeeded and they've helped you helped you prove your point, which is really, really cool. So basically, you ask the audience to explain your bullet point. <laughs> so this technique is really simple if you have a well-developed bullet point that includes a result that your audience wants. Uh, for instance, let's use one of the titles that we created earlier along with a few bullet points related to the title. So... If you recall, uh, in the previous session, we, we focused on a title called, um, by focusing on repeat business this year, we will increase revenue by $200,000 and commissions, sales commissions by $25,000. So the bullet points that a person might cover to explain that title or to, to give content for that title might be bullet point number one is it's easier to sell to happy customers than to find new customers who will buy from you. Bullet point number two, we generate more profit per contract when we sell to existing customers. And then bullet point number three might be we've identified 300 customers who haven't bought from us in over two years. If we can get just one sixth of those people to buy again, we can generate the $25,000 in commission. So we can turn just about any of those bullet points into questions. The reason why we're kind of focusing on questions that are what I call well-developed is that a lot of times people will just put kind of two-word bullet points up there. So let's say that instead of having my first bullet point be, it's easier to sell to happy customers than to find new customers who will buy from us. Instead, I just kind of shortened that down or abbreviated that to easier to sell. Right? It's going to be very, very difficult to make a question out of the three words easier to sell. It's going to be very challenging. However, it's easier to sell to happy customers and to find new customers who will buy. We could basically just, cr- just put um, a question mark at the end of that and ask it instead of telling it. Uh, like, for instance, we could ask, so why do you think it would be easier to sell to previous customers than to generate an entirely new customer? the group could give me a number of different potential answers and each one would be correct. They could say, well, the trust level is higher with repeat customers. Uh, It it could be that it lowers the risk for the customer so they're more willing to buy. Could be that the customer already has their buying procedures in place. So if they've got to go through a bunch of contractual challenges and stuff like that, if they've already done that once, it becomes easier the second time. Could be that we use a similar contract that has already been approved by the higher-ups in that organization. So basically, the, the presenter, just by asking that question, is turning the tables on the participants. Instead of the presenter proving to the audience that the statement is true, now the audience is proving the statement to the presenter. <laughs> so now, although I only suggest asking a question like that maybe once in an entire speech, just as an example, we can show you how you can act, make questions out of the other two bullet points as well. So the speaker could say, so why do you think we can make more profit with repeat customers than new customers out of the second bullet point? The third one might be a little harder if if we we could ask something like if we had a list of past customers who hadn't bought from us in a while, what could we do to get a few of them to buy from us again? So that, that one takes a little bit more finagling just because of the way that the the bullet point was worded. And so sometimes you might have to get a little creative to turn your bullet points into a question. But the And the technique doesn't work 100% of the time, but it does work very consistently. So I would encourage you to, to give that a shot the next time you're designing a presentation. Design a really good bullet point and then try to turn at least one of those bullet points into a question to get the audience to participate with you. Uh, by the way, for details, on additional ways to add audience participation to your speech, you can check out our blog post on fearlesspresentations.com called Nine Reliable Ways to Use Audience Participation. And if you download the audio guide, we'll we'll put a link to that. Uh, if you haven't downloaded the audio guide, basically all you really have to do is go to fearlesspresentations.com and in the search bar, just type in nine reliable ways to use audience participation, and it's gonna come right up. So the third impact idea is analogies. And what we say about analogies is they add sizzle to your presentation. Um, I like to think of myself as a pretty good speaker and writer, but I always hated English class in high school and college, though, because I, I mean, I always got confused between what the heck was a metaphor and what was a simile and what was an analogy To me, they all seem really, really similar, and and just so you know, if I didn't actually look this up, I still probably wouldn't know the difference between those three things. However, these often confused parts of speech are what I call the secret sauce to a great presentation. If you use them the right way, these items will be like adding the perfect piece of jewelry to a formal dress. They just basically take a speech that's already pretty good and make it exceptional. So if you're like me and these different parts of speech are a little confusing, let me give you a quick little overview. The first one is a simile. That's a figure of speech comparing two unlike things that are often introduced by like or as, you know, so a few examples might be um, her stare was as cold as ice or when he's angry, he's as fierce as a tiger or the, that department is like a teenager doing chores. You know, those are similes. It's just a quick little comparison where you're comparing one thing to another. A metaphor, though, is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase literally denoting one kind of an object or idea is used in place of another to suggest a likeness. For example, you could say something like her icy stare said it all or he is a tiger when he's angry. Their teenager work ethic rarely accomplishes anything. So it's very similar, but you're not using the like, right? Uh, An analogy is the one that's more commonly used, especially in presentations. That's a comparison of two otherwise unlike things based on resemblance of a particular aspect. With an analogy, one aspect of the two items are, are being compared, but there's often a logical inference that the other aspects are also similar. So analogies tend to be more complicated than similes or, or metaphors. So here are the same three examples used as analogies. So the first one is when I say something inappropriate, my wife is like a submarine, <laughs> Her eyes shoot out a sonar-like signal, it bounces off my hard head, and later I can expect a torpedo incoming. Number two, he's kind of like a volcano. Most of the time, he's calm and mild-mannered, but when he gets angry, he erupts. Or number three, the department's work ethic is like a teenager cleaning the garage. Things kind of get moved around, but nothing ever gets accomplished. So I've used quite a few analogies, by the way, throughout the, throughout the, the lessons that we've kind of shared here. For instance, I mentioned that creating a presentation is like presenting a case to a jury. It really isn't, by the way. I mean, it's really creating a presentation isn't a whole lot like creating a, a presentation to a jury. But when I draw that comparison and show a similarity, then your brain counter remembers it. By the way, you can often use similes and or metaphors to make your presentation titles or bullet points more interesting. On a whim, I looked up some of the best-selling nonfiction books of the past few decades. Three of the top five actually use this particular technique. Uh, the number two book was it's called In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Now, obviously, the criminal who the book is about has blood that is the exact same temperature or very close anyway to uh, the Temperature of my blood, right? So the title is really a metaphor. He doesn't really have cold blood. Um, The title creates an emotion in the reader, though. Um, The number three book is by Maya Angelou, and it's it's her autobiography called "I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings." So Angelou is creating an analogy, but an an analogy between her tough childhood and a caged bird. So finally, and the number four book is is called "Fast Food Nation." It's, it's got a, a subtitle, though, that says The Dark Side of the All-American Meal. The author of this book is basically using an alliteration from Star Wars as a metaphor for the way that we eat in the modern era. And the great thing about these titles is that they use very, very few words to create that emotional impact. And in some cases... It also adds a slight bit of humor. So this leads us to another major benefit of similes and metaphors and analogies is that you can add some humor. You can use these things to add humor to your presentations. And because let's face it, most presentations delivered in the business world are pretty boring. Very few are laced with natural humor. However, if you add an analogy or a metaphor every once in a while, you can add some really fun and you can add some humor to even the driest subject. Uh, I'll I'll give you an example from a coaching session that I did with Capital One executives many years ago. One of the young managers was creating a presentation about how some of the departments within her company were working on the same project together. The challenge, though, is that none of the departments were, were actually in charge of the project. So miscommunication was occurring. The departments were they were communicating well with each other but not communicating well with people outside of their own group. And it caused some some serious challenges. So she said that this communication challenge was kind of like sharing a a single bank account with her boyfriend. She said that uh, he was keeping track of his purchases and she was keeping track of her purchases. However, no one was keeping track of both purchases together. So she, by the way, so by the time she finished that, she had the audience laughing as she let the the story unfold about what happened in this incident. Interestingly, the more different the items are that you're comparing, the more fun that the comparison becomes. So this story is funny because the department's doing a project together is in no way like a boyfriend and girlfriend moving in together. Right. And that and the story in and of itself, you know, made the, the whole concept pretty funny. So I would encourage you to add in at least one, maybe a couple different analogies into your presentation. It'll make your your entire presentation a little bit more humorous and a little bit more fun. So the next impact idea is uh, anecdotes. And and short anecdotes can be used as another way to kind of add some humor, but it also gets your audience to think differently about a concept. Uh, And this is where a lot of times folks will kind of ask me, okay, Doug, well, what the heck is the difference between an anecdote and a story? And in reality, really nothing. (laughs) An anecdote is a story. A story is an anecdote. They they can be used as synonyms. However, when I'm using the terms here, when I'm explaining these things to you, I'm actually using them as two different types of the same story. Uh, For instance, when I use the term story or an example, I'm trying to get you to remember something from your own experience. So when you access a memory and then relay that memory in a speech, it's going to help you reduce your nervousness. It's going to help you build rapport with your audience. So it's really fun and easy. When I use the term anecdote, though, I'm referring to stories, in some cases, fictional stories where you are not an active participant. So these types of stories take it, it really takes more practice to be able to deliver them well. They also require you to kind of memorize a narrative. And and that's why I don't have people start their presentations by inserting anecdotes right away. Typically, if you start with the personal stories, because they're easier to recall and, and to deliver, and then add the anecdotes in occasionally to add humor, to get your audience to see the concepts from a different perspective, it typically works really, really well. So for instance, let's say that one of my clients tells me how she stood up in front of over 1,000 people at a convention and, and just mesmerized the crowd for 20 minutes using the presentation that she delivered in, in my class. So if I tell her story on her behalf, so I'm giving details about what happened to her, I'm basically telling an anecdote. I, I wasn't in the meeting room with 1,000 people. And by the way, that type of recitation is more challenging because I don't really have the memory of the actual speech to, to pull from. So I'll likely need to practice quite a few times before trying to tell that anecdote in front of my audience. However, if I just tell the audience about the conversation that I had with the client where she told me about the speech, that's a personal story. It's much easier to remember. such much easier for me to remember because I just play the videotape in my head of that conversation and then just recite back to the audience what I remember, it takes much less practice to do it that way. Uh, by the way, I'm not a big fan of telling random jokes in speeches. It has the potential to kind of backfire on you. However, funny anecdotes that make a point are re- are very, very, very useful. Um, the good news today is that you can pretty much just type the words funny story about and then insert a keyword from your bullet point. If you just paste that into Google or type that into Google, you're going to find something. And once you find a funny anecdote, just make sure to tie it back into the point that you're making and give credit to the author, by the way. Uh, for instance, I, just as a, an example, I typed in the words funny public speaking failures, and I found this gem. This is from a guy named Lee Rogers. And, and basically, Lee mentioned that while traveling with a, a sister city chamber commerce business exchange group in Japan, he was asked to speak after breakfast about marketing in the United States. And he saw this as an opportunity to really show off his language skills. And so he asked his interpreter how to pronounce the words on a couple of distant signs that were that were on the side of the wall. Uh, one said ladies and one said gentlemen. And after practicing to himself, he, he began the speech with good morning, ladies and gentlemen in Japanese. And it got quite a reaction from the audience uh, so he delivered his killer 20 minutes of marketing wisdom and sat down to generous applause. They really liked him. And he was quite pleased with himself. And it was only later did he realize how strange his greeting really was, because one of the hosts gently inquired why he had started the talk with good morning toilets and urinals. So basically, like those little anecdotes, those little kind of stories are are ways to kind of add a little bit of humor into a presentation. Now, obviously, you just don't you don't want to just stick that story into a presentation without having some kind of a point. But if you're talking about how Communication is different across uh, across different nationalities or translations can be kind of challenging or people from different backgrounds can sometimes interpret what you're saying differently. If that's the point that you're making and you kind of use that anecdote, it can be pretty funny and, and an easy way to kind of make your point. So the next impact idea is a demonstration and demonstrations can make complex processes much easier to understand Sometimes it's much easier to show somebody a process than to tell them. I mean, I can remember back in the sixth grade, my teacher had one of my my classmates and I teach each other a step-by-step process. And the trick was that the person receiving the instructions had to do exactly what the person who was giving the explanation told them to do. They couldn't do any more or any less than what they were told to do. So our assignment was to teach the class how to make a peanut butter sandwich. Sounds pretty easy, right? Initially, we said things like take the bread out of the plastic bag. And when, when we said that, the person listening just ripped the bag to shreds and bread went flying all over the table. Uh, next, we tried put peanut butter on the knife, and of course, the listener um, basically left the knife sitting on the table and moved the entire container of peanut butter on top of the knife. Um, so, after a number of miscues, we we started discussing a little strategy with the other speakers. Finally, we came up with the idea to go to the table ourselves and have one of us. They all voted that I do it. Um, say, just do what I do. And then I made a sandwich and explained what I was doing at each step. By the way, we all got an A on the project. So did everybody else who went after us, by the way. Uh, and I never really forgot that lesson. It, it, it's a whole lot easier to show somebody what to do than to just tell them what to do. And this type of visual aid is critical when teaching someone how to use software or how to use a tool of some type so it can come in very, very handy. So that was impact idea number five. This looks like a really good stopping point point for this week. Um, We'll cover the other five impact ideas next week. So have fun and we'll see you next week on the Fearless Presentations podcast. Bye y'all. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets
1: each week.